Welcome to the 15th podcast in our Privacy Paths series. Today we're looking at how Guernsey creates a distinct data protection profile, uh, keeping its ties with the UK and the EU and looking to engage the wider community and the business community in its activities. You can find out more about the podcasts on our website, privacylaws.com slash podcasts. My name is Valerie Taylor. I'm a consultant for Privacy Laws and Business, and joining me today is Stuart Dresner, who's the Chief Executive of Privacy Laws. Hello. We also are delighted to welcome our speaker today, Emma Martins, who is the Data Protection Commissioner for Guernsey, and I will ask Emma to introduce herself to us. Hi, thank you very much for the introduction. Yes, my name is Emma Martins, and I'm the Data Protection Commissioner for, for the Bailiwick, and we pretty attuned to data protection legislation, had it in for quite a while. So looking forward to having a chat with you today about what we've done and what we're still doing. That's great. Um, so we're going to focus on a couple of areas. Um, one of the biggest areas of interest right now is adequacy and how data can flow between different jurisdictions um, and uh, in, obviously in particular in and out of the EU. But we also want to look to the future and think about some other aspects of compliance and also some um, challenges and opportunities. So what businesses need to know if they're operating in Guernsey. So can you tell us a little bit about Guernsey and the sort of particular areas of interest that might arise in relation to privacy? Um, perhaps in, in connection with the digital economy? So yes, um, the Bailiwick Guernsey is, is a small jurisdiction, um, only 60 odd thousand uh, citizens. Um, so it's very different to some of the larger jurisdictions that are dealing with data protection, but we've had we've got a long history of having legislation in place um, and we have a strong finance sector. And I think the point is that data protection in a large jurisdiction is as important as in a small jurisdiction. Um, And so we have a long history of taking this seriously. We have a long history of of adequacy, which I'll touch on again a little later on today. Um, And we certainly see it as a priority to get data protection as good as it possibly can be, both for economic and for social reasons. So, uh, Emma, please tell us about your experience as a regulator in a jurisdiction as adequacy status for some time. for example, the broader compliance obligations that come with the opportunity of data flows. Are there practical implications you can share? And what about enforcement? Do you have to have you how active have you had to be as an enforcer, as a regulator, which has to take action from time to time, um, presumably mainly concerned with your financial services, which are dominant in the uh, economy? Certainly a very strong driver for us um, was getting adequacy under the directive many years ago now was to ensure the free flow of data to the bailiwick. I mean, that motivation is still very much a driver for our government uh, to work as it's doing to retain that adequacy under the GDPR. What that does mean is that we are a jurisdiction very familiar with having data protection within its legal framework. We're all clearly part of an increasingly um, globalised world, globalised economy, and we have a strong finance sector in the bailiwick who are very attuned to cross-border data flows and the importance of those flows for their own business activities. And that means when we look at our own finance sector, they're already working in a highly regulated environment and have been doing so for many years now. And compliance in that sector is certainly viewed as a professional activity. So to a large degree, uh, this sector, the finance sector, is one of the most straightforward to regulate. Where I think the new data protection standards, and I mean by that, I mean the GDPR that's since 2018, have been more of a challenge is maybe for smaller businesses um, and to some extent the public sector. 
because I think it's true to say that, that um, the drivers for compliance in these areas are, are different to the private sector. They're not maybe as reliant on, on data flows um, out and in of the, uh, the bailiwick in the way that the finance industry is. But of course, uh, that points to something really important here. This is not just about adequacy. This is about ensuring high quality rights and protections for our citizens. So I think it's really important that we look at this holistically that as a jurisdiction, we're not driven only by our desire to protect data flows. I mean, yes, that's really important, but so is looking after our community and their rights in this digital era, because you know we are, all of us, more than consumers, aren't we? We're first and foremost citizens, we're, we're human beings. I mean, in terms of the practical side of, of the regulatory environment for us, one of the things I probably appreciate most uh, working in the bailiwick is, is the proximity to our regulator community. I mean, they really are within reach. Um, and as a small jurisdiction, we clearly don't have the same issues as some of the bigger countries have. But the issues we do have matter just as much to our businesses and citizens. And being able to reach them and communicate with them in a way that maybe larger jurisdictions can't reach their much bigger communities is a real opportunity for us and one which we work uh, very hard to make the most of. And, and turning to your point about enforcement activity, one of the things we've done since the new legislation came into force is taken a very open approach to everything we do, um, and that includes enforcement activity. We don't have FOI, Freedom of Information, on our statute books in the bailiwick, but we do have a code. And I feel strongly that we as an authority need to lead from the front in that area. So that means that when we do take action, I mean, unless there's a very good reason not to we will make that public uh, and I think that that helps everybody because it means we can understand uh, better the nature of complaints what it is that triggers people to make a complaint um, and also share some lessons share some learning uh, about how to prevent those things from going wrong in the first place so enforcement is really critical in any legislation uh, including data protection if people are going to have confidence and trust in the regime they need to see it fairly and consistently uh, dealt with when when things go wrong, but but equally we are clear as an authority that our absolute aim is is to prevent those things from going wrong in the first place. Yes, and picking up on what you said just then about um, the importance of this for businesses, um, there's there may be a perception that the Channel Islands and the Isle of Man have uh, a similar approach to regulation, but in a sense you're in competition for inward investment from other companies bringing their businesses. Uh, to your area. So do you think there are differences from a data protection perspective which are relevant to companies? It's such a good question. I mean, clearly I can only speak for myself and my office, but this is not an area where I'm interested in competition. I'm interested in ensuring the bailiwick, our community, our businesses have high quality legislation in place around the processing of all personal data. If that becomes uh, a wider commercial or, or other advantage for us as a jurisdiction or for certain businesses or sectors that's great um, you know I, I want the economy to thrive as much as anybody and that's a happy and welcome consequence um, but that's absolutely not the driver here at least for our office. Right in your um, mission statement um, you, the it's it talks about um, you use an ethics based approach empowering individuals and protects their rights and supports the data economy um, and also you're supporting innovation 
but uh, do you ever find there's tensions between the ethics-based approach and supporting data economy uh, to embrace innovation? Um, but sometimes there are products like internet-connected products um, or with passive permission to process personal data, such as internet-connected internet toys or smart doorbells. Um, so do you ever notice any of these tensions? And if so, how do you overcome them? Again, it's such an interesting uh, question. I mean, I really resist the idea that ethical data handling and innovation is a zero-sum game. I, I think we just need to think a bit more carefully about what we think innovation is and what we want from it. I mean, innovation in cars, for example, is not about being able to drive as fast as possible. It's about driving safely. And increasingly, it's about driving in an environmentally friendly way, too because we've embedded the values of, uh, of safety and the environment into um, vehicle innovations, doesn't mean they're less innovative. I mean, building uh, innovation on, on uh, ethical-based approaches means simply that we just make sure that we act on human and we build those things on human values, not on the exploitation of them. And if there are if there are tensions uh, that you speak of, and I think it would be crazy to deny that the fact there are, but I think they often come from uh, the technology itself moving at such a pace as to not allow much time, if any, for a sort of pause moment to reflect on uh, the immediate and obvious uh, and also less obvious impact and consequences. Uh, and that's where it's absolutely critical, I think, to look at improving inclusivity in conversations and inclusivity in decision making and in building. So, so we hear in the process of building innovation and creating innovation, we hear the voices not just of those building the tech and, and innovating. We also hear the voices of those that may be affected both positively and negatively um, by the things that are being rolled out. And I think that's an important point. It's not all negative. I think sometimes data protection professionals get pitted against innovation as a matter of principle. That's nonsense. There are some amazingly uh, productive and useful things being done. Um, but I still think there's a lot more that needs to be done around the whole inclusivity and, and, and hearing the voices from those that may be less positively, uh, if not negatively affected. Uh, and I think people are now becoming more aware about uh, the possible harms of, of unchecked innovation uh, and we're starting to see privacy even being sold as a sort of desirable product which is great which is great um, and that's real cultural change and I think that's what will help to uh, to drive business and to drive government engagement uh, and, and response in this area. So changing tack a little bit, can you explain how the Data Protection Authority works alongside you as the commissioner? Because I'm interested in that um, that relationship and how those people who are in the authority contribute. Yes, with the uh, with our 2017 law, which is uh, essentially equivalent to the GDPR, which we brought in in 2018, um, we created an authority, which is we call it the board. So it's it's a chairman and members um, that sit uh, above the executive. Uh, we have a truly incredible uh, board chairman and members, and it's such a privilege uh, to work for them. I think previously we were in an even smaller uh, office and we, we reported straight into government, and that that's composed difficulties, I think, for independent regulators wherever, you know, not just us, wherever you are. So that's been a real um, game changer for me and for the office. Um, they've put in place really robust governance mechanisms to ensure that we fulfill our statutory duties uh, to the highest standards and, and working as we build the office from something which was really just firefighting, just always just responding 
um, with very, very limited resources to building it to something that is actually meaningfully contributing in this area and meaningfully supporting uh, better outcomes, not just responding when things go wrong. Uh, so they provide the executive with, with support, um, guidance, but I think one thing I personally value hugely is that the experience and wisdom. I mean, having that collective experience and wisdom in the room to draw on in a, in a really safe way. So it's not, you know, I make mistakes, we all make mistakes. And they're there to say, have you thought about something else? Have you thought about a different tack or a different approach or something? It's just a it's, it's a it's a wonderful experience to have to, to, to be surrounded by people like that. And, but I think more importantly than my own personal experience is it actually is delivering good outcomes for the community which we we want to serve. Yes, it also provides you with a way of sort of reaching out to the wider world. I notice you have videos on your website with Richard Thomas, the former UK uh, commissioner, um, arranging discussions with Jakob Konstam, the, the uh, former Netherlands commissioner, and Malcolm Crompton, the former Australian commissioner. So it, in a way, with the authority, helps you sort of reach out and, and develop contacts uh, worldwide. So I, th I think it must be very helpful for you. And it's lovely because it, it, it's such a rich area. And I think sometimes it can be quite lonely as, as a data protection regulator or working in data protection for anybody. As a DPO, it can be quite lonely sometimes. So just feeling you're part of a community where we're all pulling in the same direction. We all have our challenges, but some of those challenges can be helped along if you share them and, and share the learning that you've, you've, you've had yourself along the way uh, can be really, really useful and inspiring. I guess leading on from that to, to an extent, do you see, um, do you feel that Guernsey has a sort of particular unique position perhaps in sitting kind of between the UK and Europe in in every sense, you know, um, geographically, but also politically and uh, in relation to privacy? Um, do you feel that you get sort of pulled in one direction more than another? I mean, of course, uh, we're very alive to some of the issues that have been rumbling that you, you refer to, uh, you know, such as around law enforcement more recently. And I, I think this is probably more a, a political question than a regulatory one, because I can honestly say that the only um, gravitational pull we feel uh, as the regulator is just to deliver on our duties. It's very clear we're a creature of law. The law tells us what we are there to do. Um, and that is to ensure individuals have the rights and protections that the law wants them to have. And, and, uh, and we want to help organisations to handle data responsibly. So, uh, yes, we're alive to it. But in a way, we maybe are in the fortunate position that we sit outside some of the politics that, that's going on at the moment. So have you um, kept up your do you keep up regular contacts with the UK government and their data policies? Obviously, the UK government's putting a lot of DCMS, putting a lot of effort recently into win that adequacy status declaration from the EU. So do you get informed? Are, are you informed about the uh, developments as, as, they, as they go along? Yeah, we have very close links with the ICO um, uh, and uh, the DCMS through government as well. So we're keeping a very close eye um, and there are very strong relationships that have built up over many years. Do you think there's any concern that uh, obviously the UK has now won that adequacy declaration, but there's already talk of challenges from um, privacy advocates and the possibility of a, a Schrems 3 case for the Court of Justice of the European Union, um, finding areas where the UK's law is considered not to be quite adequate enough from the more um, privacy advocacy point of view. So are you, do you have any concerns about the uh, data um, transferred uh, in this context and where the UK's law may not be quite as adequate uh, as yours uh, has been declared to be? 
Well, the UK adequacy status, which has just been announced, is something we've been waiting for with anticipation, isn't it? And especially those of us in jurisdictions um, like like our own that we're waiting we're waiting for news on our own adequacy. Uh, we still need to absorb the detail, but there are some noteworthy things that immediately strike me uh, in that. First, the adequacy decision itself is pretty long. Huh? This has clearly not been a, a, a tick box exercise uh, of any degree. We, we need to review its content very, very carefully. It's a long and time also, coming uh, and also 93 pages. <laughs> indeed, indeed, Stuart. And I think that, that tells you the, 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 the nature of the, the assessment uh, now around, around adequacy. And I think, I think for the first time, actually, it's a decision that has a sunset clause, which means it will expire after, I think, it's four years, um, at which time it's clear there'll yes. be ongoing monitoring and review. I mean, this is a really strong signal, and I think a good signal, because it shows that a jurisdiction can't just put a piece of law on its books and, and tick it off as being done. I mean, this law, uh, all law, actually, but this law needs to be actively, proactively implemented by controllers, by processes, by governments, by regulators. Um, I think moving to Schrems, uh, you talk of, I, I do think that it's raised real, the whole data transfer question has raised real challenges for controllers. And quite honestly, if even data protection professionals have difficulty navigating it, how can we realistically expect the regulated community to get to grips with it? So I think we really need to double down. And when I say we, I mean the whole community, whole DP community. We really need to double down on working together to provide meaningful and relevant and, and most importantly, deliverable guidance, support and tools to help controllers. I would just say, though, that despite the obvious difficulties presented uh, in the data transfer arena, a positive, which I think has come out of it, uh, is perhaps a better appreciation of the risk of all data transfers. I think that the digital and global economy sometimes gives us a bit of a false sense of security in that in that space because data transfers are so quick and they're so easy and they're so cheap um, in, in ways they really weren't not that long ago. So it may be technically easy to do it, but it doesn't mean we should take our eye off the ball around the actual risk that is being posed. So if this prompts us to take a long, hard look at uh, our own data transfers um, and whether that suits our own risk appetite and what the risk what the risk actually is, then I will take that as a good thing. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, isn't it? That I mean, you've made a couple of comments about, um, you know, the AI when technology doesn't have to be a, a, a zero sum game and and that the, the international transfers are, are terribly complex um, for for everybody and coming up with practical solutions um, that really can help businesses is has got to be the way forward you know and but the understanding I think that's a really interesting comment you know that we we're now a lot more focused on international transfers and what they mean as opposed to perhaps in the past of being just a well we've put the SCCs in place and and uh, so we've ticked that box um, so thinking about the challenges and opportunities for for businesses I mean aside from the international transfers are, are there other areas that you think um, are sort of topical right now? Um. I just think as a more general comment, uh, ethics is becoming part and parcel of the of the narrative around data and those those companies that are positioning themselves. And I liken it, you know, there are parallels with with environmental issues. You you see the word ethical in a lot of marketing blurb now for, for businesses. Why? Because people, the consumer is attuned to it. So we need that leap across to 
data. And I think it's happening. You see some adverts on mainstream TV selling privacy, essentially, with, with the product. And that's a transformation for those that have been those that's been in data protection a long time. It's easy to think, oh, that's just, you know, we're great for it. But actually, that's a massive leap. Uh, in a relatively short space of time. And that's that's really exciting because that's when it engages the public consciousness. You know, it's all very well we sit in our lovely bubbles of data protection professionals, and it is a rather wonderful bubble of, of amazing people, but there is a whole community out there that think data protection is someone else's problem, someone else's issue, something unfathomable, something unrelated to them. And that's what we need to, to tackle. Um, and that's when it becomes meaningful, and that's when we can deliver you know, you know, really good and positive change. We've noticed, um, um, Emma, that last month you launched Project Bijou, which was completely original. Um, I spent some time looking at the videos on your website. It's all about the human side of data protection, taking the uh, the uh, individual as the unit of attention and trying to remember there is a framework of law, but the law is rather complicated. So the idea here is to engage everyone in your jurisdiction, raising awareness to thinking about how privacy issues affect them in their everyday work and social situation. So um, this is an ambitious project, which I think which, uh, many, everyone should pay attention to because it's such an interesting way of looking at the subject. So what has been the response so far in Guernsey? And indeed, have you had some reaction from elsewhere? The project starts from the place that uh, we think data protection has got to be much more than about enforcement. Um, and in the lead up to GDPR, there was so much talk about the big fines. Um, and, and of course, that has its place. But it's also about awareness, um, education, empowerment. It's about um, culture as much as it's about law. I, I really do believe that. And, and we've invested time and effort into our strategic aims uh, at the office here. But we all know that bad culture eats good strategy. I think it's for breakfast, isn't it? <laughs> so it's got to be more. We've got to do more. So however good your, your strategy is, and I think ours is, is good, of course I do, but if people don't engage with it, if people don't care about it, it will go nowhere. It will just sit on your shelf. So how do we deliver this and how do we embed this into our community? So it becomes more than just someone else's problem or someone else's job uh, or, or an old bit of law that no one cares about sitting on a musty shelf. So um, we want to make data issues a, a community endeavour, a community project, rather than a regulator's one. So that's the sort of starting point. So Bijou uh, is the start, the beginning of what we hope to be a wider uh, community conversation, and, uh, including sharing of stories and experiences. And, and, and why stories? It might seem a little bit odd in a data protection realm. But, well, I, I just really think that stories, human stories, resonate with us on a really personal level. They play an important part in, in shaping our individual and collective understanding and our and values. And I do believe that when we take the time to explain um, in accessible language, not patronizing, but just accessible language, exactly what is happening with our data and with us as a result, people do care and people will care. And people will then be more likely to make um, better decisions about their own uh, data and take more care of other people's data. I mean, one of the things I think we need to be honest about is the existence of a real disconnect. People feel they don't understand the technology, 
uh, don't have the capacity to understand the technology or don't have any way of, of, of influencing anything or any power in, in that conversation. And from a personal data perspective, that's a really dangerous trajectory for us. We need to have a voice. We all need to have a voice and we all deserve a voice because this is affecting all of us. Now, I don't pretend that Project Bijou, which is essentially a community conversation, um, or the beginnings of one at least, uh, will fix everything. But if it's just the start of something, then it's worthwhile. We're only a small office with very limited resources. So just engaging different people in, in different conversations about different aspects of data, all of, with their own perspectives, is just a way of trying to spread more awareness across our community. Um, and basically, even small things matter and they can become big things. And I think that's what we want to see lead to positive change. I mean, we've had such a lovely response in the Bailiwick and beyond. And I think this is this is a global conversation. So we, we clearly we have potentially influence on our own community. But if we can be part of a, a global conversation, because these these things really do affect our community, but every community across the globe, too. Well, thank you. I congratulate you on creating such a, a wonderful concept uh, and a way of engaging with the community, something which uh, others can learn from. Valerie, do you have any concluding comments? I think that's been a fascinating insight into the approach that you're taking in Guernsey. And certainly for me, it makes the jurisdiction very appealing. You know, if I'm looking at it from a business perspective, it's in really interesting to hear about your approach to it all, the, the collaboration, um, the practical uh, attitude towards compliance, but also the importance of engaging um, the, the data subjects, to use that technical term, but, you know, the people who are supposed to be the beneficiaries of this um, legislation. So I, I think, uh, you know, it's been really useful to hear your views and um illuminating uh, to understand more about Guernsey and the approach that you're taking from a privacy regulatory perspective. Well thanks very much Emma for joining us today and uh, we look forward to keeping closer contact with you in future and learning more about how Project Bijou evolves and uh, other projects you, you have um, uh, as, as, as part of the, uh, your, your jurisdiction. So thanks very much Emma. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us in our 15th podcast. You can find out more about upcoming podcasts on our website, which is privacylaws.com. And you can also find more information about data protection and privacy issues, both in the UK and globally from our reports.